Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Hello, everybody. Welcome to One Weird Trick, the show where we share little tips and tricks to living a happier, healthier life. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. And we've got a great show today. First up, I'm going to continue talking about building social skills that I started last week, that topic. Uh, speaking backwards to practice the skills social. Mm-hmm. Then Cecily will talk about how you can educate yourself about and engage with the Black Lives Matters movement. Then we have a few people looking for advice on dealing with fears of being replaced at the job, ambiguous feelings about Father's Day, and exploring newfound aspects of their sexuality. Love that. Love those questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's my turn to introduce the main topic first, I believe. So unless there's any objections, let's talk about social skills. Let's do it. So last week we talked about practicing social skills by just being social, uh, going out there and doing just day-to-day interactions, interacting with their cashier, Practicing making con- um, practicing making eye contact and offering appropriate greetings to people like good afternoon, good morning, just pretty basic stuff that just about anyone can do uh, and implement in their daily lives right away. But as we talked about last week, once you start an interaction with someone, how do you keep it going? What do you do then? Well, one great way to do that, one weird trick, is something we call small talk. Now, a lot of people complain about small talk. They say they hate small talk. But small talk is a really useful way to build a rapport with someone that you don't know very well. Small talk is often considered to be like really banal conversations like, boy, sure is hot out out there. Mm -hmm. You know, remarks about the weather. Just, you know, these really boring, non-controversial topics. I'm terrible at this. Um, a, a lot of people are. It's just, it's social skills, you know. Um, and these, you know, talking about the weather can certainly work um, and also can get some easy experience in type of, you know, light types of conversation. But people are usually interested in themselves and they're naturally interested in people who are interested in them. So I'm going to suggest a little light flattery to help with the small talk. So, for example, walk up and slap someone on the ass and say, looking good, sweetheart. <laughs> that would be bad. But let's do some role playing now. Ooh, uh, love not role that play. kind of role play. <laughs> we don't need our safe words for this one. I don't think. Uh, good afternoon. Oh, hi. Hey, I love your shirt. Where did you get it? Oh, thanks. I bought it from a Chinese sweatshop. All right. Uh, so <laughs> uh, flattery doesn't need to be kind of like sexual or targeted at the opposite sex, although I just did target at the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can compliment a person's hat. Glasses, they're what got a, a, a cool band T-shirt, uh, driving a modestly cool car or whatever. For example, if you're at a gas station, you see a gentleman on a cool motorcycle, you can be like, "Hey, nice bike. How long have you been riding?" Uh, the point is that flattery opens people to dialogue. Uh, however, a word of caution: you should never really go more than one level deep in the flattery dialogue tree because it starts getting a little, you know, if you start off with, oh, I love your shirt, and you follow with, oh my god, your shoes, your sunglasses are so cool, you're going to start giving off some seriously weird vibes. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great way to kind of start things and get people to engage. And when you're starting out, it's important not to be too eager to keep the conversation going. Your goal shouldn't be to just arbitrarily have a conversation of any particular length. Uh, you know, if you say, hey, cool shirt, where do you get it? And someone goes back, uh, Target. 
you can be like, well, that's sharp and then let it drop because mm-hmm. that's a perfectly fine interaction. It's a perfectly fine beginner interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversations like a tennis match. Both people have to be invested in returning the ball to the other side of the court. On the other hand, if the person comes back with, thanks, it's my favorite. It's actually from this little online boutique that only uses responsible source bamboo. That's a person that is all about talking about their shirt and you can be free to ask follow-ups. But if you're starting out and that's kind of intimidating, you can always fall back with something like, wow, I'll have to check that out. Thanks for the info. And again, just kind of let it drop because it's okay for your first interactions to be and feel awkward. It's okay for your hundredth conversation to feel awkward. Sometimes it's the other person that's awkward. It's okay because nobody has 100% success rate. The other thing you can do, uh, you know, once you you know break the ice with a little bit of flattery and you want to extend the conversation, you want to get to know someone, is keep things about real things that people experience in real life. And this was something that was a struggle with me in my life because I've always been a giant nerd. I love sharing things that I'm excited about in terms of whatever, like science fiction or fantasy fantasy universe I'm into or whatever thing I've read on Reddit's r slash ask science sub. But that's not how most people kind of relate to each other. Those are pretty niche topics, uh, especially, you know, in the initial goings. But it's how, like, if you notice, like, little kids will interact with each other like that. Like, hey, do you like Halo? I like Halo. Who's your favorite character? Master Chief? Me too. You know, or my favorite pony is Sparkle Shine. What's yours? And a lot of times those conversations will grind to a complete halt at the other person, the other kid, hasn't ever played Halo uh, oh, my, my mom doesn't let me play video games or isn't in the ponies or, you know, maybe you've been on one of the receiving ends of like a nine year old bouncing up to tell you about all their most popular theories about five nights at Freddy's. And it can be charming when it's coming from a kid and you can kind of smile and nod politely and encourage them. But that's not a conversation. It's a chore mm-hmm. uh, because you don't care about it, really. And they care about it a lot. And there's not much you can have as far as interaction there. And that's because little kids typically aren't great with social skills because they haven't learned them yet. They do all kinds of crazy shit, like hit people for no reason and grab things out of people's hands and play in traffic. Right. (laughs) The point is, it's not great to use your hobbies and enthusiasms as a substitute for personality, unless those hobbies and enthusiasms are super broad in, in, in scope. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, it's great things you can share with your uh, friends that you've developed over a long period of time, but it's a lot of times a barrier to making those friends. So if you've memorized Wikipedia or are super into the latest interpretations of quantum mechanics, I mean, look, I'm not talking down to you because I've memorized Wikipedia. I'm into crazy conversations about quantum me- mechanics, okay? But you don't want to lead off with that shit. Someone asks you about it or the conversation naturally arrives at stuff like Star Wars or the speed of light, then sure, go ahead. Fine. Otherwise, you know, keep it based on reality. Keep it grounded. How do you do that? One of the things I recommend is having a working knowledge of like the front page of your local newspaper, because like I don't care about the Cincinnati Reds or the Bengals, but I do know if they're doing well or poorly or if the local Powerball is over 100 million or if the teachers union is on strike or if there's a local street festival going on or coming up. And I I don't have to know all that information in depth, but I try to be aware of it because knowing things that a lot of other people know is a great way to connect with those people. So like, hey, did you see Taste of Cincinnati is coming up next weekend? You going to check it out? Uh, Think of places where your knowledge isn't as deep as opportunities to be an active listener. 
So, like I said, I don't know shit about the Bengals, really. Uh, so a lot of my conversations go something like, how about them Bengals? Oh, yeah, they're having a really tough year, huh? And then the other person says, well, what do you think about this wide receiver trade that they're thinking about? And I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But that's okay, because I can come back with something like, you know, I'm not really uh, up on all that. I'm more of a casual fan. What's going on? And just listen to what they have to say. Let them do the work. And as a bonus... Now I can go one more level deep into a conversation about the Bengals for the next couple of weeks, right? Uh, a team I don't even really care about. So it is a little work to stretch those. You have to, if you don't naturally care about a lot of topics that a lot of people care about, then you have to invest the time in being knowledgeable enough to kind of hold a conversation about that. And that said, like maybe you can pick one or two topics that you do find more interesting than others to explore more fully. For example, I'm really uh, interested in local politics, so maybe I'm wondering why these teachers are striking. What are their demands? Do I think they're reasonable? Could I articulate why a person might uh, disagree with my position? And if you keep this process up over weeks and months and even years, eventually you have a good working knowledge of things that are, again, important to a lot of people in your community, and you'll have well thought out and interesting opinions on those topics. And watch out, you're on the way to becoming an interesting and engaging person. And newspapers aren't the only way to do it. Uh, but I caution against using like Twitter or Facebook because, you know, again, the idea is to get something that a broad selection of people are interested in to get broad viewpoints on. And those sites are more about no editorialism and drilling down to very extreme positions on that stuff. And, and they're not uh, always presented in ways that are in step with your community. And it's not a quick or easy process. Some people are going to pick it up sooner than others. Some people are going to take more time and struggle. But like I said, this is a skill that you can practice. It's like playing a sport or a musical instrument or having sex. Some people might have a natural knack for it, but hardly anyone's going to be amazing at it right off the bat. And the sooner you start practicing, the sooner you're going to suck less at it. And the one other thing, I've got uh, another segment next time that I want to talk about where we'll talk about some advanced uh, conversation topics and uh, social skills. But a lot of people feel like when they're initially starting out that they need to loosen themselves up with a drink or two in order to be social. And I think that's kind of a bad idea because it's it's really fine to be nervous or self-conscious when you're learning social skills. They'll get better with practice and you'll feel better about it when you practice. But on the other hand, if this goes beyond kind of the normal butterflies and anxiety of approaching strangers. If you feel like you have some actual crushing social disability or anxiety, something diagnosable, you know, by all means, consult a doctor or therapist. Um, but just either way, it's self-medicating, you know, having a couple of drinks to loosen up. Uh, not a great solution. And it can take you to bad places. So those are my kind of like 201 level uh, social skills. Weird tricks. What right. you got for us this week, Cecily? Thank you for that. This week, I wanted to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement that's been happening. Ah, light topic. <laughs> yes. You did an excellent episode last week on Three Right Turns, if anyone wants to check that out. Well, thank you. Um, but I just wanted to talk about how these past few weeks we have been witness to and living in historical times. And I could say that about everything that's happened since about 2016, but this really feels like history book material. Um, so the Black Lives Matter movement has gained a lot of recent traction, if you don't know, due to the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And a lot more people are understanding now that black issues are police issues. Black issues are feminist issues. 
Black issues are wage disparity issues. They all intersect, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Black issues are food deserts and black issues are COVID-19. And all of those things are things that we should want fixed for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if you want equality and fairness for yourself, then you can understand everyone wanting that for themselves, especially black people and people of color who are unfairly targeted by those issues more than us Mm -hmm. white people. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, you are familiar with Dr. Silk's ring theory. The idea that there is a center of trauma, something happens to one person, and then there are concentric rings leading out from that. So the person in the center of the trauma is allowed to express whatever feelings they want to to the people in the outer circle, like your friends and closest friends and family members. And then your closest friends and family members are allowed to vent out to that outer circle, which is, you know, acquaintances and their friends and closest family members and out and out like that. So I think this is really appropriate right now to consider that the reason we don't say all lives matter is because black people right now are at the center of that trauma, generational trauma. Um, They get to dump to these outer rings and us, the People who are historically oppressing them don't get to dump into them and tell them that they're not correct Mm -hmm. in how the world is. They get to be angry. They get to be irrational. And they get to be peaceful and silent if they want to Mm -hmm. because they've been fighting for centuries. And that is their right to experience all of that grief. Uh, We are in the outer rings, and it's really important that more than anything, people like you and me listen and internalize their experience and listen to it. So that means don't ask your black friends, coworkers, and especially not strangers to educate you because what you're doing is asking them to defend themselves and explain why their lives and issues matter. There are innumerable resources where you can do this on your own. There's lots of reading you can do. Uh, A quick Google search will lead you to lots of black voices that have a lot of interesting resources to provide. Um, any website right now probably has some Black Lives Matter resources pinned to their front page. Um, the books that I've read recently and I want to recommend to you would be How to Be Anti-Racist and Stamps from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Both were written by Ibram X. Kendi. Um, Kendi also created his own anti-racist reading list that can be found in the show notes from the Chicago Library. I Right now, I have the book uh, Race in the City, Work, Community, and Protest in Cincinnati by Henry Lewis Taylor Jr. on hold at my local library so that I can inform myself about race issues in my own hometown. Because the way to make a change is to be aware of issues that are close to home that you can make a change in Mm -hmm. and makes you a better informed voter and a better ally. Um, I would say go to protests where you can. It seems like we've made a lot of progress recently, but we're not done. We have to keep that momentum going. You know, protests are not if, you know, if you're still thinking that protest means violence and anger, that's and rioting and looting. That's not exactly how it's been. You'll see a lot of media portraying that. And it's been really dangerous in a lot of places. But most protests have been peaceful. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people waking up to the fact that like a lot of otherwise peaceful protests are turned violent when the authorities 
you know, try to disperse otherwise peacefully protesting people. Right. You know, um, everyone's fine and they're singing songs and they're chanting and they're holding up signs. Uh, but it's now t- the state has heard enough mm-hmm. and it's time for you all to go home. And then the, the gas and the bullets start. And then surprise, surprise, things start getting broken. Things start getting set on fire. Uh, people start getting hurt. And that is used to justify more bullets and more gas and more batons and and, uh, uh, and ever more policing and even military engagement. It's it's insane. Right. But that's only some places. Um, utilize social media. Make sure to amplify black voices that deserve to be heard. And we've linked to more than 100 of those in the show notes as well. Uh, share petitions that need to be signed and sign those petitions. Uh, donate to bail funds like Act Blue that allow you to donate to multiple jail funds at the same time. You can also find that. You guessed it in the show notes. Um, donate to GoFundMes for the families of victims of abuse. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, there are too many to name right now, mm-hmm. let alone historically the people that we have to try to remember all the victims. It's it's a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there that could use your help. Uh, also, those books I mentioned earlier buy them from a local preferably black owned bookstore uh you can find one in your state from the link in the show notes (laughs) i've got a lot of resources for you guys today um i'm going to be buying what i can from smith and hannon right here in cincinnati uh buy everything local and preferably black owned if you can part of a change that you can make is to support black owned businesses As a straight white person myself, I could never fully understand the discrimination, death, or imprisonment at worst, and the microaggressions at best that black people face every day. So if you're speaking to friends and family who give you any pushback, just remember that to the privileged, equality feels like oppression. I think that's a really profound kind of statement, too. I I remember the first time I heard it because... Yeah, like if uh, you, you imagine if um, you're a kid and you get to go to the refrigerator and get a glass of chocolate milk anytime you want and your brothers and sisters aren't only you are allowed to do that. Uh, and then they complain to your mom and say, that's not fair. And your mom's like, OK, now, uh, you know, only everyone gets to have one glass of milk a day. And now everyone's glass is slightly shorter than the ones you poured for yourself. Yeah. For you, the person's been chugging jo- chocolate milk like, boy, this seems like fucking bullshit, mm-hmm. right? Like your experience has been materially harmed. But on the other hand, you know, now your brothers and sisters don't hate you. Mm-hmm. And boy, that that has societal costs, too, let's say. Right. Or, you know, the New York police chief, police boss. I don't know what his actual title is. I think he's a, yeah, their head They call him the police whatever. boss. I know what that fuck. <laughs> um, like he's a mafia guy. Right. He's getting, you know, Gambino family business. Right. For him to get up there and talk about how people are shaming them just because of the uniform they wear and how they're embarrassed and they're scared. I mean, they are just so close to becoming Mm self-aware and understanding. But I mean, all they lack is empathy in that, in that instance. Like, gosh, imagine what it's like to be black Mm -hmm. and feel that way. Black people don't have guns that they're allowed to legally use on you. And they can't take that black uniform off, you know, when <laughs> right. they when they just want to blend in and, right. just, you know, oh boy, yep. it's a lot of heat. There's a lot of heat on being black right now. I think I'm just going to take all this off and mm-hmm. go to fucking Applebee's. Yeah, just take a vacation. You can't do that. 
I think that's a great topic, and the ring theory is really important because I've seen a lot of uh, you know black people talking about online and in the different journals I read about like they kind of brace for when things like this happen because all their white friends come out of the woodwork and think, oh my god, did you see this? Oh my god, did you see this? And you know, it can be distressing, you know, to to see this stuff. Uh, you're not maybe in every emotional framework to handle that kind of heavy stuff, and people are just sharing with it and want to know what you think, and they're doing it because. They, you know, that's like uh, they want to be seen supportive, like, you know, how are you doing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not the way to do it. You know, uh, the, the odds are that uh, the most most of the black people in your life are very aware of what's going on racially in America and uh, probably been waiting for the rest of us to catch up for some time. Right. So that's the that's the mission. Now, there are some. Uh, people who have volunteered to be the educators and that's the the people the resources we've shared in the show notes uh you know those those people are very very strong and brave to do so mm-hmm. i mean if your reaction to this is to get angry and to be offended and feel like you're attacked then maybe that's the best time to to learn to follow that feeling try to understand why and then try to understand why the other people are angry and afraid Man, I tell you what, it's been one of the biggest differences in my life is when I started doing that instead of like when someone was complaining and I didn't get it instead of being like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is going on? Like actually, all right, let me hear it out. Because the thing is, you can always get pissed off later. Right. After you've heard, you know, both sides of the issue, you can be like, you know what? I was right. This is bullshit. I can still be wrong. But like what we, what really makes you feel like an asshole 10, 15, 20 years down the line is digging in and then realizing, shit, I was wrong. And look at all this mess I've talked. Look at all these things I've done. Right. You cannot undo the kind of generational trauma that we're talking about. These, these microaggressions that piled on black people all the time you can't undo that stuff the hurt that you cause but you can just take a minute to think and read yeah and you can clean up your side of the streets and if everyone does that over generations uh we'll get to a better place yeah thank you okay let's transition into the advice segment uh this is where people send in requests for advice requests for weird tricks to o-w-t that's the initials for one weird trick at swizzbull.com First up, we have a cog in the machine. They say, I work for a small company where I wear a lot of hats. I'm relatively swamped, but I'm successful in all of the tasks and the business hums along just fine. A couple of months ago, my bosses asked me to put together a short guide of the administration processes and procedures, which I did without thinking anything of it. Now, all of a sudden, he's asked me to turn it on to a full-on, in-depth book of everything I do. So far, it's dozens of pages and counting. It contains absolutely everything I do and how it's done. It's broken down so simply and concisely that just about anyone could probably walk in and take over the job without prior experience. With this tool I'm constructing, my boss could fire me, replace me as someone cheaper, though I'm already making peanuts at the moment, and never have to train them since it's all here. I know worrying about it won't help, but should I voice my concerns? If so, how? Or should I just carry on putting my blood, sweat, and tears into this instruction book and accept what comes my way? Cecily, what do you think about this topic? That's this question. Uh, I mean, that's a great question to ask yourself. What are they going to do with these materials? And I think it, you have every right to ask for more more money and to ask for to understand what your security is at the job you're working. Um, I personally, it's, I mean, it's something that you're working on right now, so you could just not turn it in. (laughs) That's what I would do. 
you know, if I, uh, yeah, they're asking you to train your replacement and secure them for the future. And where's your place in that? Yeah, I, I felt this really strong. I remember a couple of years ago when I went into my uh, local bank and they had this like super teller, automated teller mm-hmm. that like, you know, ATMs, you can usually get cash, you can check balances, you can then you could deposit checks and cash. This thing will generate like money orders and cashier checks. You can take out loans, you can do big deposits, you can do a whole bunch of stuff. Like essentially, there's almost no reason to go to a teller. And I, as I like to practice my social skills, uh, bounce up to the teller and the teller actually came around from the booth and walked me over to this super ATM and walked me through how to use it even though this machine if it's successfully adopted will probably destroy their job and I felt like you know uh, I just watched a movie Capote and there's a scene where there's a person being led to the gallows mm-hmm. and like they're not struggling or fighting or anyway and I'm like God, that's got to be a weird sensation to feel like the hangman noose and around your neck and no, and not to be able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And like, here's this worker doing this. But on the other hand, I also kind of think it's good management to have employees do this. I always did it in my job, like documented my processes and what I did for my own benefit. Uh, if I wanted to go on vacation for a week, you know, I was able to cross train someone very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, ever there was a chance for promotion, it was really easy to flip that stuff to the next person and, and move on. So it's not necessarily all about replacing you. There's valid reasons to have that kind of stuff. And I guess it all kind of comes down to like how confident you are in your management and how precarious you feel in your job, because. Um, there is some job security to having your job being kind of mysterious, but on the other hand, um, as a, as a person who's managed employees, I've always been a little suspicious for, uh, about employees that are very secretive about what they do and how they fix things. And, you know, that, that kind of thing, because that feels sometimes like a red flag, someone that's, you know, maybe doing poor processes or cutting corners or right, but not I, being transparent about what they're doing. I feel like the short guide would have been within the job description, maybe, but a 40 page manuscript yeah. about everything you're doing yeah. feels like something that, yeah, you should absolutely get some more, get some more money for doing something like that. Or if not, sounds like you are the kind of organized a detail-oriented person that could probably get a better salary somewhere else. That's one weird trick I'd like to share is go on job interviews. Mm-hmm. Like the best time to find a new job is when you you, you don't need one, mm-hmm. when you've already got one. Um, and I've had a couple of friends that you would do that like every six months or so. Um, look at the the help wanted sections and the monster.com. I don't know where people finding jobs nowadays. So many places. So many places nowadays. But you, you go on there and they take a look and they'd find one in their like skill set and salary range and go interview. And if the offer was good, they'd take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the exact kind of thing you could use as your job uh, on your job interview when they're asking you like, uh, how have you helped promote a blah, blah, blah work environment. I put up a page, uh, a several dozen page manual about how to do all my core job processes and it increased. Pro- I mean, yeah, like and that's- it makes for a good negotiating tactic at your current job to know what you're worth other places. If yeah. you really are invested in staying. Yeah. Although I, that's another weird, it's like, I don't, I highly advise people against taking counter offers from their current employer. If you've gotten a better offer elsewhere, because I don't know. 
Right. That feels like really precarious to me that like, hey, I hey, I just went and tried to find a job and they got more. They, they offered me more money and the other place that could have offered you more money and treated you fair to begin with is like, oh, yeah, well, we'll pay you that to stay. I don't know. A lot of times that leads into like a kind of a bad work environment, um, kind of resentment on both sides. So but but yeah, that's 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 my weird trick. OK, our next one is from the cat in the cradle. Father's Day is coming up and I love my dad to bits and I want to send him a card to let him know I care. But honestly, he had a history of being neglectful in my childhood and has never been there for emotional support. It feels disingenuous to write him a card saying how great he is, especially because I'm still suffering from the neglect. Our relationship has somewhat improved, but mostly through me learning not to count on him for support. I love him regardless, but I'm not sure I always like him. I don't want to hurt him by not making him a card, but I'm at a loss with what to write. Hmm. I guess my first question would be, why do you want to send this card? Um, Is it because you feel like Father's Day is coming up and you've got this father and that's what society has made you feel obligated? Or is there actual, you know, real love and affection and, uh, you know, gratitude for being given the gift of life? In which case... I think just being honest, like don't go into a Hallmark store and get the dad. You've always been there for all the little league games, for all the high school plays, for all the graduation ceremonies. I know like don't get that. Like I get a blank card and write something like, dad, I love you. I'm thinking of you. Um, and I'm glad you made me, <laughs> you know, just, just keep it like short from the heart and things that you, uh, legitimately, um, want to say and then i guess ask what you want to get back because uh no matter how wonderful a card you send uh you've got a track record with this person and it's not great like it's entirely possible that you will not hear like a thank you or anything like that so like are you opening yourself up to more uh emotional harm by by you know doing this very kind gesture um, so like, you know, the question is, are you doing it for him? Are you doing it for you? And if you're doing it for you, are you doing it to get some kind of the reciprocation? Um, but it's, it's a, it's a sticky wicket because like I, you know, both, both of the host here and one weird trick have, you know, complicated, uh, histories with our families and our parents. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not easy and there's no like one size fits all answer. Yeah, I have this, I would say I have kind of this exact relationship with my father. Uh, we still talk every once in a blue moon, but I do call him on his birthday and I do send him a Father's Day card. It's perfunctory, but it's still nice because I don't want to, I don't want to put out the kind of hurt in the world that I have received. That makes me feel better. That makes me feel better to let people that I care about know that I care about them. And it doesn't have to be schmaltzy, like Aaron said. You know, if (laughs) I don't know, last time you've shopped for a card, but they have everything that range from A to Z kind of emotional relationship. So you can find, you know, a pre-made card that's just kind of generic and say what you really mean. Like Aaron said, be honest. My card is going to say, I love you and I miss you. Love, Cecily on top of, you know, some glitter and shit, (laughs) you know, and if, and if that's offensive to him, then he's in denial about what your relationship is. Mm. And yeah, get, that's what I want to get out of it is the feeling of 
having done something nice and shown my love in a way that I feels appropriate for the relationship. And I don't expect a thank you. Um, I will be calling him on his on Father's Day as well. So he'll probably say thank you at that time. But um, I guess it wouldn't hurt me if I didn't hear from him at all after that. So you just have to I mean, you have to put yourself first and your feelings. And that's that's my advice. Yeah. I wonder what would happen if you just don't send the card. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking yeah. about cat in the cradle here. Um, would your dad call and be like, what yeah. the hell? Where's my card? His father's dead to hear from you. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe they could open up an, an honest conversation with your father, too. It's like, you know, dad, I just don't feel like we've got that kind of relationship. And if he's like, well, what do you mean? Be like, I you know. When's the last time I heard from you? Did you remember right. my birthday last year? Did you or send me a Christmas card? And yeah, I feel like the, that's uh, it hurts me to try and it's not doing you any good. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Like I said, it's all you never heard to have an honest conversation. Um, and if an honest conversation ends up in like a relational blow up, then that relationship was already blown up. And right. you're just revealing, I guess, the, the you're just being honest about the damage that's already occurred. Right. Yeah, but I'm also not saying don't send your dad a card because that's, you know, that there's lots like you've, we've outlined lots of good reasons why that can be good and healthy, too. Right. Yeah. Plus, uh, my father has another family mm-hmm. and they're all going to do something for Father's Day, I assume, and go hang out together. And if he didn't hear from me, I I don't think he'd miss it. He'd note it. It would be noted, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he has. He can't hold it against me. So fuck him. A cat in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to listen to this podcast for sure. <laughs> no, hell no. I don't even think he do- knows I do this podcast. <laughs> um, he, my dad doesn't either, even though I tell him every every time I see him. Yeah, I'm still doing the podcast thing, dad. Yeah. So I think it's still working out for you. Eh, barely. Uh <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes. Next email is from Heteroflexible. It says, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian community that shamed me for normal things like masturbation and normal sexual desires, even in like cis hetero scenarios. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And since my sexuality is presented as a gift for my future husband, (laughs) it has made it difficult for me to see my sexuality as my own. Once I was 22, I said, fuck it, the purity culture and hating myself for having normal desires and started having sex. Huzzah! I had a very few casual partners within a month, but quickly found a really solid guy who I'm still in a relationship with now 3.5 years later. Everything has been going swimmingly, our whole relationship, and there's no signs that we're headed for an end anytime soon. Because of my upbringing and that I'm attracted enough to men, I never considered that I might also be attracted to women, too. Since I've been in therapy and broken down some of my internalized misogyny uh, and been in a loving relationship and surrounded myself with sex positive people, I felt the room to accept that I'm probably bi. I say probably because I've never had any remote romantic contact with anything other than men has always been good enough and it feels insincere to commit to a bi identity without experimenting within it but it feels like i've missed my chance to explore something with a woman or someone non-binary i got into a relationship so quickly after my initial sexual awakening that i don't really know what my preferences are or if through my current relationship is great and i love him being with a woman would be even better I'm not interested in opening up my relationship with my boyfriend in part because I'm not in a place where I'm okay with my boyfriend sleeping around with other people because if I give a woman a try, I want it to be more than just sexual. 
Do you guys have any weird tricks for figuring out what you want or how to get past this whole what if thing and be happy with the good that I have? Would love your thoughts all around on this. All right. I think that I think it's great to explore that within yourself. Um, but what you really are is in a is in a committed relationship right now, unless you don't want to be. Because, mm-hmm. you know, being bisexual means that you're still in committed relationships, right? Even if you were with a woman right. versus a man. So, you know, if this is a relationship you want to stay in, you're not comfortable sleeping with other people but still being together, then, you know, this is something you got to decide whether you want to commit to forever or if this you don't think this is going to be something you end up sticking with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said that you don't want your boyfriend to sleep with other people, but you know, you want to be able to sleep with other people, but that means you're not together anymore. It's quite a pickle. Mm. Have you considered maybe experimenting sexually? All three of you mm. with another woman mm. or another man ah. for your boyfriend to explore bisexuality with. Just because you open up your relationship doesn't mean it has to be you guys sleeping with separate people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like you're kind of sexually open enough to try something out like that. Uh, I would definitely recommend talking to your boyfriend about it. I don't know yeah, if you've I, had a conversation with him, but... That's what I'm getting that this is something she's been wrestling internally. Right. Um, and you don't want that to build up into resentment that you take out on him because you feel like you're living a life yeah. unfulfilled. Yeah, like just be. And the other thing I'm, I'm getting is I, if I, I think I'm doing the math right. You're about 25. You're in your mid 20s. So you're also very young. Um, yeah, the, one of the things I did is I settled down very quickly. I was married by the time I was 20. Um, and I didn't get to, you know, I got married a virgin. And um, when that's not that's, you know, that settling is not the reason I ended up getting a divorce. But when other uh, parts of the relationship started fracturing around religious lines and cultural lines and political lines, then, you know, there was eventually nothing left to keep you there. And when I got back out um, and I was single again, I decided that, like, I was not ever, ever, ever going to get married or settle down until I was 100 percent sure that the person I was with was going to be the the one. And that's what. I'm going to I'm going to pump Cecily up here a little bit. That's what I feel like I've got with Cecily because um, things are things are so good between us across such a large swaths of aspects of relationship that like, you know, even if like a super like, you know, Scarlett Johansson or uh, I don't know who the Gal Gadot, whoever hot random hot person would like proposition me, I'd be like, well, yeah, but are you going to like play video games with me on the couch? Are you going to be up for like some random hiking adventure? Are you going to like never judge me? Even if I tell you my deepest, darkest secrets, like it's a lot harder to replace when you have these, you know, like, like to be replaced or replace someone when you have these like really uh, intense, honest conversation or relationships is based on a lot of like mutual compatibility and trust. And, um, if you have that with your boyfriend, then, you know, I, I have a hard time recommending going on a fling with a woman because it might be better. Because right. what does better even mean? Like, it could be that there is someone in this world that I'm even more sexually compatible with and more attracted than, to than Cecily. But what would I be giving up to pursue that? Mm-hmm. Um 
But, you know, on the other hand, you are very young and you guys are still probably growing and changing as people, developing in careers. You might not even be settled in where you're going to move yet. And that sometimes that can be a fraction. And maybe this relationship will eventually uh, run its course, in which case then you go out there and, and try to figure out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I feel like the the first step is to, you know, to have a conversation like, hey, I, you know, it's not anything you've done wrong. And I'm not saying I want to leave you, but I've had some really kind of intense sexual feelings about women. And I just wanted to talk about that and, you know, see where it goes. Right. And you can even, you know, incorporate that into your sex life. If you decide to stick with your boyfriend, you know, you guys could watch uh, female porn together. You guys could <laughs> role play yeah. doing things. Um, there's all kinds of options. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. Most guys, stereotypically anyway, uh, are kind of down for a girl, girl, guy threesome. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, uh, they wouldn't be as excited about one that would lead to their girlfriend leading, leaving them, you know? Right. Yeah. If you're if your boyfriend's just kind of like yeah. a third wheel sitting off in the corner, yeah. then that could lead to some hurt feelings. And you don't want to hurt him, I assume. Yeah. And, you in know, the self-discovery process. And what you're saying, you want to be more than just sexual. Like there's there's a lot. There's, um, you know, people out there who, I mean, that's the difference between like an open relationship and polyamory. Open relationship is you're just banging other people. Polyamory is you are actually having emotional feelings for people other than your primary spouse. Or maybe you have equal feelings for multiple people. And I know that's really hard uh, for monogamous people to to understand certain like I describe myself as monogamous it's mm-hmm. something hard for me to understand but I've, I've seen it work and happen um, you know uh, I, I've met enough people that have made that kind of work and and you know seem to be thriving to know that it is possible and I don't know what I'm not sure about is if people are hardwired to be like less jealous or if that's something you work at, like it's something you work at with like honesty and communication and, you know, trust and to where you can like open things up that way. Cause like, you know, just all degrees of jealousy. I've seen some people so fucking jealous. They can't like see their, uh, significant other interact with someone of the opposite sex. Right, you know, Mike, they like, Mike Pence go up, can't go out to dinner with anyone other than mother. <laughs> yeah, they can't. Yeah, can't have a business meeting alone. Or the like, that's yeah. cuckoo crazy, right? Yeah. And then there's some people to be like, oh yeah, sure, fall in love and say, and you know, come on in, bring them into their own bed, and all. It's 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 all a spectrum, and you know, uh, you have to decide for yourself what you think is ultimately healthy, and and it's it's up to you and your boyfriend how you're going to define your relationship, right? Uh, but you're also you're all you're both it seems like you're very young, like relatively speaking, you have a lot of sexual life ahead of you. Right. Um, so there's no need to, like, you know, make a snap decision right now. Right. Yeah. There's all kinds of things to explore. I've seen plenty of man, straight man, woman relationships fall apart. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. So oh, that's uh, Yeah. The whole is <laughs> like, oh, you're just, you know, if you start doing this, you guys are going to cheat. It's like, you know, no, no. a lot of relationships, uh, monogamous, uh, heterosexual relationships end in tears and in splitting up and divorce. Like one would argue the vast majority of them mm-hmm. since that's the vast majority of the relationships. So it's not like if you follow society's perfect plan that, you know, you save your virginity for your husband and you get married and you're going to have kids and live happily ever <laughs> after. Like that just doesn't seem to be how it necessarily works for everybody. Yeah. Although if it does, that's that's a beautiful story too. Yeah, that's up to you to decide whether or not you're going to re-gift that gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the novelty candle. 
It's just something you can just keep you on. Tie a little seashell around yeah, it. Just keep it's passing. It's like it the gift of the first time. <laughs> That's actually like I think that there is something to that. Yeah. Like the first time you have sex with someone is always going to be special. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, in fact, like I think the very first time I had sex with someone is one of the least special things I did. Yep. Uh, now that I've had like another two decades of experience since then. So I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's make virginity like relationship virginity. Yeah. Just regift that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I gave it to somebody. Uh, it wasn't a great experience. I'm going to give my first time with somebody else now and it's going to be even more special. Mm-hmm. Bigger, bigger bow or something. Big, <laughs> yeah. Change the wrapping. Yeah. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want, you, you don't want to just like uh, scratch, just scratch off the other person's name. You know, yeah. you want to you rewrap it. Yeah. It, it can still be special. Sure. Sure. You know, make sure it's not half burnt. You know, it still smells nice. <laughs> Maybe eventually you have to replace the candle. I don't know. Uh, is any of this helpful? Uh, I think I think somewhere in there. Uh, get back to us. Everyone who's written in, please get back to us. Let us know. Oh, my God. I would love going. I would love stat a good, bad, ugly. I would love status updates. Yeah, that goes know? for anyone who's ever written us an email. Status updates are highly encouraged. Yes. Yes. All right. That's all we got this week. Aaron is currently releasing three right turns every week. So you'll have an episode to listen to every week. Another. It's- on Wednesdays now, though, that's the big change. Every week, not just one weird treat. Uh, just three right turns is every Wednesdays, and uh, one weird trick is every other Monday. Okay. We just changed that to give uh, our buddy Jim a little bit more time to to edit the one weird the the three right turn stuff. Yep. Uh, so we will be back in two weeks for another one weird trick. If you have any feedback for us or we have any requests for weird tricks to improve your life, love, and happiness, you can email us at OWT at SwizzBold.com. We're also on all of the social medias at SwizzBold as well. A big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We could not do this without you. You can become a Patreon if you're not already at Patreon.com slash SwizzBold. And I would especially like to thank all of our Fred Level patrons by name right now. Uh, Angelo Morano, Mark Hahn, Jordan Hoyts, Byron Rasmussen, Laura Luthi, George P. Burdell, Arvin Rao, James Taylor. Is it the James Taylor? It might be. All right. He's got uh, not Carolina on his mind. He's got Ohio on his mind. <laughs> Greg Rasp, Kira Grusho, Jared Harrelman. Thank you all so much. You can join this list of names by becoming a Fred Level patron. Patreon.com. You can also find Swizzbold themed merch at merch.swizzbold.com where you can get our Swizzbold one weird trick or three art turns logos on almost anything you want, uh, like face masks or bandanas. So you can go to the grocery store and start conversations anywhere you are from six feet away, please. Um, if you missed our latest live stream, you can still watch it at patreon.com slash Swizzbold and all of our other live streams. And, uh, Become a patron. Be a part of those yeah, live that, events. That then, last one was a lot of fun. We did uh, some some light Harry Potter theater. Yeah. And then J.K. Rowling heard about it, and she talked a whole bunch of mess uh, and distract from our mm-mm. rich metafiction that we had built around uh, her her narrative. Uh, and we talked about protests and our personal experiences with it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just the state of the world. Always talk about the state of the world. What's going on? Have a, a, a conversation between three people and with chat about uh, you know how we can we can be better and uh, be better for our community. Yep, it's a lot of fun. So the next one of those will be in early July. Yeah, so you got almost a whole month to get signed up. Yep, ready to go. All right. Thanks again, guys, and we'll see you for the next one. Until then, I'm Cecily and I'm Aaron. Have a great week. Bye bye. <laughs>